The Idaho Street Workshop is proud to present Changes, a six-episode limited series. To be, to be immeasurably great, to be unlimited or unfathomable in time and space, to be capable of great things no matter the given set, to try to speak clearly, a push of mathematics beyond the preconceptions of the rational mind. I want to eat. I love you. I need to sleep. I am alive. Grand. Infectiously grand. Episode 5. Honest. Featuring long sections of fan fiction involving Anne Rutledge, Abraham and Mary Todd Lincoln, as well as more information about the end of the relationship between Rome and Regina. The episode features the voices of Anna Clark, Brian Taylor, and myself, John Wenzel. For more information on the series, please visit IdahoStreetWorkshop.com. The moods. Every one of us has moods. You yourself have more than your share of them, Abraham. They express the various aspects of your character. So it is with the English language. And you must try to consider this language as if it were a living person who may be awkward and stuttering, or pompous and pretentious, or simple and direct, or even smug. Name five moods. The indicative, the imperative, the potential, the subjective, and the infinitive. And what do they signify? The indicative mood is an easy one. It indicates a thing like, he loves, he is love. Or when you put it in the form of a question, does he love, or is he love? The imperative mood is used for commands like, get out and be damned with you. Is that the best example you can think of, Abe? Get out. Get the hell out. And the subjective? I have better things to do. Thank you. Now, just one more. How about the potential? Imagine you're making the State of the Union address. Ladies and gentlemen, I could have done a better job. Maybe next year we will find success. Maybe next year we will live a better life. That's perfect, Abraham. Pay attention to the situations, people, places that you close off from your heart. Tell me about how the state of Florida ruined your life. No, you've got it wrong. Florida didn't ruin my life. In what areas of your life do you feel closed-hearted? How did you react when given the option to have a successful life? Where do you feel resistance? I wasn't close-hearted, exactly. I was protecting myself from loss. Plus, I was never given an option for anything. My resistance was normal. Were things bad at that point? No. We hadn't seen each other much lately, and we just hadn't been good together for a couple months. He'd been a bit occupied by the trouble, the march towards war. He had been closing me out of his life, slowly and mechanically. I'd like to say that I had some fault in the matter, but, well, I did have some fault in the matter. So we took a vacation to Florida, which was a terrible idea. They had just seceded from the Union. So in your own words, Mr. Lincoln, 
what happened. What's in that bowl over there, sitting on the kitchen table? Is it empty? Is it filled with hope, desire? Or is it a void, only to be filled with what awaits us, what awaits us all? Is it in fact a hole that we will fill? This, this fear of death is why I have fled from reason, because all that is left in this life is a bowl that we will fill. This fear is the fear that keeps my neighbors up at night. It is part of the fear that divides the union. The fear that in death we are all the same. Our differences are no longer seen. We are a country that is built on sin, on lust, on greed, on violence. The bowl, I would rather fill it with justice, with freedom, but this bowl is filled with death, mine and others. Mr. Lincoln, would you consider this a detachment from emotional and rational thought brought on by hardship, depression, or family history? I have felt these things all my life. At times, they have felt like a specter, at times a goal. Either way, it has caused nothing but trouble. My happiest times have been ruined. The first time I was to wed my Mary Todd, dread came over me. She and her family sat and waited for me. I jumped town to toil in my troubles. To leave a woman at the altar and have her still wed you is a gift. A gift that does not lead to a happy life. The curse of my emotional calamities were never seen in public, but neither were any of my emotions, except envy and jealousy. Once during the war, when I saw a general riding too close to my Mary Todd, fits of anger, fits of anger. This is not a makeup of a happy man, but war does things to people. A family of troubles, a family of troubles. Before 1900, very few people died of heart disease. It is well documented that our industrial society has produced a nation of sedentary individuals who would rather eat potato chips and fried foods than scrub laundry by hand or walk as their primary means of transportation. Now, in the 21st century, we confuse heart disease with anxiety attacks and stress with COVID symptoms. Bowling Green's house near New Salem, Illinois. It is a small room, but the walls are lined with books and family pictures. In the entrance, there is a table with a lamp on it. Another light, a candle in a glass globe, is on a bureau at the right. There are comfortable chairs on either side of the table and a sofa at the left. At the back, towards the left, is the front door. A rifle is leaning against the wall by the door. Anne Rutledge, I love you, and I will always love you, even if I die and I end up marrying a bitter homely woman which I never have a good physical or emotional relationship with. Mr. Abraham Lincoln, I love you, even if I am engaged to a man 1,500 miles away, and I find you a good tease, in hopes my real love will come back to me, because I don't want to be an old maid. I mean, I'm 20, and I'm not married yet, and I'm going to die in the next year, so I better try my best to marry while I still have life in me. Oh, Anne, this is perfect. So, Abe... How did you and Anne meet? 
When I moved to New Salem, Illinois, I took boarding at the Rutledge's house. They were very nice. I was trying to run a grocery at the time, and it was very unsuccessful. The Rutledge's didn't expect me to pay rent on time. This was before I was postmaster or even thought about going into law or politics. So, Anne, was it love at first sight? Not at all. Abe was such an awkward man. I did not have any feelings for him. Truly, he was very kind to me, but I began to think of him as an older brother after a while, not as a lover. So, how did things spark between you? It sounds as if things weren't hot and heavy from the start. Well, after I gave up the grocery, I was sitting with Anne at the local tavern, and she was lamenting due to a letter she had received from her betrothed. Yes, he had moved back east due to family, and he was supposed to bring me out there or come back to New Salem. But it had been almost a year, and his letter held no promises in them anymore. So I admitted my love to her. And that was very sweet. So how did you react? Laughter at first. I was very lonely, and Mr. Lincoln was very well respected in the community. So I told Abe that I'd go on a picnic with him and spend time with him, but I promised nothing. This hurt me. I felt little passion in my life, and Anne had awakened such vigor in me that I did not know what to do. How did you deal with it, Anne? It drove me crazy. Abe's mood swings and his inability to express himself physically with me only worsened my anxiety. It drove me into illness. Illness? Yes, illness. On the plains in our time, any time a woman had problems, it was considered an illness of the mind and body. My dealings with Abe separated me from my emotions to such an extent that I could no longer function. So I died. After Anne died, I held on to my memories of her in such a way that it ruined the rest of my relationships. As a memory, she functioned as a perfect woman. That's really disturbing. Mr. Lincoln. Yeah, yes, it was perfect, simply perfect. Anne Rutledge, I love you, and I will always love you, even if you die and I end up marrying a bitter, homely woman, in which I never really have a good physical or emotional relationship with, and, and even if our relationship was never very healthy, I've forgotten that in time. Be a witness to yourself. Translate the present moments to your reactions and hesitations. The moods of the body are like language. They have a certain structure and fluidity to them. Once you discover the rhetoric, the structures and subtext reveal themselves. Rome, Regina, were things bad at that point? No. No. You were working all the time. When you weren't, you were on the net looking for info about Remy. You wouldn't talk to me about it. You're also obsessing about bike safety, so I know this had to do with Nick. But questioning my ability to ride three miles to work, double-checking my helmet, and asking me if I had backup batteries for my wife. Every day! I know it's called transference, but Rome it was impossible. No one calls me Rome anymore. It's Jerome now. Whatever. If changing your name helps you deal with this, I'm all for it. But it seems like you are still you still aren't dealing with your grief. So we took a trip to Florida. 
The last month we were together, I booked the trip a couple months ahead of time. I thought it would be a moment to reconnect. I had been working a lot. The gig with Sven was going really well, so I wanted to celebrate. But from the time you booked the room and we left, I had decided to move to New York. Tess had gotten into grad school there and needed a roommate. I didn't have a reason not to go. My job wasn't going anywhere. In Rome, you were filled with grief. You weren't the person I met at 98. It had been almost 10 years. Mostly good. I knew you didn't want to move. I knew you wanted to stay, to keep as much of your life the same, even though you that's not how time works. Things change. After we got back, I told you I was moving. Reg, um, over the years I've adjusted to my grief. Finding the truth about what happened to Remy helped. I, I don't know if there was a way for me to deal with it when we were together. I couldn't talk to you about it. The reporter helped me find out the truth. So now, I'm trying to figure out what happened to Nick. We all know what happened to Nick. He was an alcoholic. He rode his bike home drunk. He didn't stop at a stoplight and a car hit him. Nick died. A witness saw a young kid, maybe 17. He looked scared. Any of us would have been at that age. He drove off because he was young, not because it was his fault. You said it yourself. Nick was living a destructive life. He was burning up his relationship with Tess. I don't know if I ever saw him sober. Did he ever talk about his life before you met him? He couldn't hold a job. Didn't you fire him at the hotel? We were friends. I know. We were all friends. That was a long time ago. The kid that hit him probably in his 30s now. We're all in our 40s. Most are married. Some of us have kids. It's not good to keep mulling over this. You have to let it go. Reg, it's, it's been really good to talk to you. It's just I can see the military gathering in the desert. The smoke, the soot, the dust, the soil, and the stains of labor. And more than this, you can not only endure, but it seems that you enjoy looking for the refuse of your life. That your mind plots destruction, that you delight in debris, the heaps of fallen stone. As long as the oil fields burn, the bodies drown, they are forced to stand for days on end. As long as the oil fields burn, the bodies drown, they are forced to stand for days at end. They are forced to stand for days on end. You will never know health or peace. A mighty red sun, amidst a host of flaring clouds, sinks to rest outside of you. The sun of Rome is set, this day is gone. Clouds, dews, and danger await. Rome, now Jerome, mistrusts his past success and doubts its return. For now, good night, sweet Rome. Maybe tomorrow, a robin or a cardinal's call will wake, and the shadows of this dream will lessen. The sun's rays will refresh anew. Dear listener, thank you for joining us for the fifth episode of the Idaho Street Workshop. 
The workshop is written and produced by me, John Wenzel, and features the additional voice talents of Brian Taylor and Anna Clark. For more information about the program, please visit the website at idahostreetworkshop.com. Please tune in to our next episode, Summertime. Until then, from San Diego to your ears, thank you for listening.